And uh, if you are age 12 and under, you may head back to Camp Pointway, where they've got a message back there for you. I also want to clear something up. That, that cute little missions girl that was up here, I had nothing to do with her, uh, her Friday meltdown, just so you know. So I was just there. I'm, I'm just, just saying. I had nothing to do with her foot either. So just to make that clear. Brandon and I were talking earlier. We were pretty impressed that Elaine can actually do three things at once. I can't even do two at once, but he can you know, keep the drum going, the guitar, and sing all at the same time. That's, that's pretty amazing. So, but thank you, Elaine uh, and Annie, for doing that for the music this morning. Well, last week was Easter, right? And we enjoyed Easter and the resurrection, and we talked about that. And uh, it was a busy weekend for many of us. And guess what? Anyone want to guess where we're going this morning with this morning's sermon? You guys are pretty good. Hey, good job. What chapter? <laughs> Dang. All right, Brandon. Nice work. I can't complain too much, so I may uh, pick on him later then, but thanks. Oh, it was Bryce? All right. See, I can't even keep your name straight. I'm just crossing over in that. Uh, it's all good. Yes, we're going to Amos chapter 7. Uh, we've been in Amos for quite a few weeks now. We've been working through it, and um, isn't it been amazing how timely it's been in many ways as we've looked at Amos? And, you know, we started out with um, God being concerned for the nations, right? God certainly is concerned for his chosen people, but he's concerned about the nations even around Israel, right? He, he cares about what's going on in their nations and how they're treating people, and they were overzealous, many, in their, their efforts of taking over land and their cruelty, right? We also learned that the nation's been divided, right? We can understand that, how nations can become divided, right? And we have the nation to the north, 10 tribes are up in the northern kingdom at this point in history, but we have two tribes down at the south. Um, that's not how God intended it. But with those nations, they formed their own temples, they formed their own worship, they had their own kings. Really, they divided about as far apart as you could get. Sadly with that, not only were they divided, but they started drifting away from God more and more and more. And we've been looking at that, and, and Amos has been called to go and tell the northern kingdom, predominantly, the nation of Israel, how far off they are, right? And there was two things going on with them right? Two major things. One was their worship. Their worship was away from God. They were worshiping idols. They were blending it in. And the second was they were taking advantage of the poor, right? There was injustice. Their court systems had gotten skewed. Uh, the rich were getting richer. Um, the poor were getting poorer. And yet, through it all, God has given them warning after warning after warning. In fact, Amos's name means load-bearer. He's got a heavy burden, heavy load to preach. And he's preaching it to many different people. And there's many different sermons we've been looking at. And so kind of brings us all the way up to chapter 7. There's been a lot more. I obviously can't summarize six chapters here in, in five minutes, and I don't want to get bogged back down, but I want to move us forward. But I would encourage you to go back and read through it again if you haven't read it recently. And we're going to pick up now the part where God's going to start speaking more directly, right? judgment's coming. You've had your chances, right? We've talked over and over again. Three times versus four. He, he gave them droughts. He's given them warning signs that there's impending judgment. Well, God's coming to that point. 
And so we start off in chapter 7 uh, with this conversation. It says, this is what the sovereign Lord showed me. He was preparing swarms of locusts after the king's share had been harvested and just as a second crop was coming up. When they had stripped the land clean, I cried out, Sovereign Lord, forgive. How can Jacob this? He is so small. So the Lord relented. This will not happen, the Lord said. This is one of those interesting passages to me. All right, so God said to Amos, hey, I'm going to judge them, and I'm going to use locusts, right? Plague. And not only am I going to use the, the locusts to come, but I'm going to let them come after the king's portion. Again, we're not an agricultural society as much, and so it's a little bit harder for us to understand this, but what he's saying is that first crop, the very first, went back to the king, right? And the land, that was a typical way of, of harvesting. And so the king would kind of get the best. He would get the first. He would get his share. And then the people would get the rest. Remember, they've already been impoverished. They're already struggling. So if the locusts were to come right in between those two times, what does that do to the people? They go hungry. That's a devastating thing. Again, that would probably set the stage for a revolt, for sure, and overthrow of the king. But they would be impoverished. But yeah, it's one of, like I said, it's one of those interesting passages because Amos actually pleads for their case. Do you see that there? He's asking the Lord, hey, Lord, please re relent. Lord, forgive them. All right? Now God says, this is what I'm going to do. And Amos is saying, hey, please, no. Remember now, Amos is from the, the, from the, the northern kingdom, I mean the southern kingdom, so he's, he's up in the north, so this isn't even his land. You know, he could probably retreat back and be fine. This is going to happen to the north. But interesting, God hears his cry, talks with him, and says, you know what, okay, I'm going to relent. It's an interesting passage, many... Scholars struggle with this. Did God change his mind? Did God, you know, lose his place and say, all right, well, you know, maybe I won't do that. No. God heard the heart of Amos, and he relented. I love it because what does that show about God? Yeah. Huh? Forgiving God, a compassionate God, right? When you look at God in the Old Testament, we think of judgment, we think of harshness, we think of cruelty, we think of, man, that's tough. I'm glad I'm not living back then. But over and over again, we see how he's been patient and he's been compassion, compassionate towards his people. And he relents, he gives them mercy. So then God speaks again. He says, this is what the sovereign Lord says. The sovereign Lord was calling for judgment by fire. It dried up the great deep and devoured the land. Stop. Then I cried out, Sovereign Lord, I beg you, stop. How can Jacob survive? He is so small. So the Lord relented. This will not happen either, the Sovereign Lord said. Once again, we have the same scenario, right? We have a, another impending judgment. I'm going to bring fire down upon you, right? I'm just going to just burn it clean. I'm just going to lay it to waste. Start out. If you've ever seen a fire, there's not much left. It just, it's a consuming fire is what he's talking about here, judgment. And once again, Amos goes to him. Again, we, we see the closeness. We see the tightness of God and Amos at this point. 
Remember back a few weeks, Jesse and I, we, we played that out. We took a walk together, right? Because Jesse and I are close, right? Good. Remember how close we are because I'm going to use you in a little bit. That's so. <laughs> but they're close. They have an intimate relationship. And again, Amos says, hey, please, Lord, I beg you, stop. Jacob won't survive. And again, Jacob, that reference to, to Israel now because it's divided that, that noise, they won't, they won't make it. They won't live past it. The glimpse that Amos gets here of God's impending judgment. And once again, God has mercy in his compassion. He says that it will not happen either. Verse 7, this is what he showed me. The Lord was standing by a wall that he had built, true and plumb, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord asked me, what do you see, Amos? I see a plumb line, he replied. Then the Lord said, look, I am setting a plumb line among my people, Israel, I will spare them no longer. Right? Now, we've seen compassion. We've seen God's relented on this. But now, enough's enough. And now he's setting a plumb line. Now, I had to go do a little bit of digging, and I had some help. Someone that was actually reading ahead got me a plumb line. So, because... As many of you know, I'm not a builder, right? But this is a plumb line. This is actually a really nice one. This is a new one, right? Some of you guys that build with, with Tony, right? You use something like this or no? A few times, all right. It's a plumb line, right? And, and what does that do? What does that do for us? Keeps us straight, right? And so if you're building a wall, that's really important. At least I'm told it's important, right? That you keep it straight. My understanding is you're off just by a little bit. Say you're off by an inch. Tony, you probably can do this out, right? If you're off by an inch, right, and it's a big wall, and say you go about 12 feet, where are you going to be at the top of that wall? How far are you going to be off? More than an inch. <laughs> I'm no builder, Tony, but I could have come up with that answer. No, I'm just I'll put you on the spot, huh? Thanks. Right? But it doesn't take much. And the further you go, the further away you get, right? But here, who's holding the plumb line? Did you miss that? Let me put that verse back up again. Who's holding the plumb line? God. God's holding the plumb line. That's important. You ever, when you've been reading, you ever have one of those scriptures that pop out of you and say, whoa. That was one of my moments this week. And maybe you don't do that. I, I do that. I am, all of a sudden, something hits me, and it's like, wow, I don't know if I've ever realized that. But, but God's holding the plumb line. And if he's holding the plumb line, is it ever off? No, right? It's always spot on. It's never crooked. It's never off. It's, it's spot on. You say, all right, well, that was then, but what about now? What do you think would be a plumb line today? I'm not doing all the work. I'm going to give you guys some work to do here. What, what do you think would be a good plumb line today? Huh? Whew, man, I was getting worried there. I just so happen to have a Bible. All right. I got a couple of them, actually. It's a two-Bible Sunday, so. All right. So we have a Bible. Jesse, come on, man. I need you. I need some help. All right. 
Jesse, don't let this get to your head, but for a moment, you're going to be God. Stand up on the, stand up on the stage, okay. all right? I just want you to hold that and keep this pointed right at the Bible, all right? Now, as long as Jesse does that, and, and again, it's an illustration, if he does that in his life, as long as he sticks to the Bible and he keeps his spot on the Bible, what God's Word says, and he uses that as for his plumb line, Jesse, you're not God, he's going to be all right, all right? Right? Like I said, Jesse, you're not God, though, right? And so, far from it. You're doing pretty good right now. You're right on. You're spot on. You're spot on in God's word. But what happens if Jesse gets off a little bit? Right? Jesse, take a step that way. Jesse only took one step. What happened to his plumb line? Just one, just one step. All right, come back this way. Ask for forgiveness, come back this way. All right, now he's spot on again. Phew. I was worried there for a minute. He got off, right? All right, come this way one step. You're off again. Man, it's not much room for error, is there? You've you got to be like st- almost still in, in deep into God's word. Correct. All right. He's stealing my show. See, Jesse's working on becoming a pastor, so he's already taking my illustration and running with it. I won't make you stand any longer. Thanks. I get the point. But again, it's important who holds the plumb line, but it's also important for us that we keep our plumb line centered and focused on God. So it's a simple illustration, but how true is it today? Think of today, though. What if we were to use as our plumb line the world? Our culture, right? How far off do you think that would be, right? Out of this room, right? Yeah, I'd be out in the parking lot somewhere at best, right? Would not even be close. Think about it. They don't even have the ability to get back to what's plumb, right? They're not using the Bible. The Bible is not their plumb line. What's the world's plumb line? Whatever feels, right, right? It's all up to me, right? As long as I feel good, as long as things are fine with me, it's all good, right? No problem. Can you take my plumb line? Do you have a different opinion? Oh, forget it. Nope. This is my plumb line. Plumb line moves all over the place, right? And what the Bible says is right, the world says is wrong. And the opposite's true. And I, I was reminded this week as I had a a young pastor that I'm, I'm still mentoring. Believe it or not, I'm still mentoring a pastor in New York, even though we, we don't see each other and we're still doing that. And there was a ruling that came down this week and comes down every week in New York. And uh, he was upset. He was all wrapped around the axle. He was just like, I can't believe that he's doing this and involves a governor in New York that, yeah, I'm thankful that I'm not there anymore. Anyways. And I said, his name is Scotty. I said, Scotty. Forget you're expecting an unbeliever to act like a believer. And what have I told? I've told him this a million times. You are going to be disappointed every time, right? It's the same thing with our plumb line. If we expect the world to hold to biblical values, we're going to be disappointed every time, right? We're different. We have a different set. We have a different plumb line. And we got to remember who's holding it. Israel is the same problem. They have gotten off the plumb. And God still 
even in this judgment, it's going to give them another chance. That's what this is all about. Even in this third time, at the end, he's saying, I'm, I'm going to reset the bar. It's the same bar they had, but I'm, I'm resetting it. And now they have a choice. It's an amazing God we serve. He sets it, but he says we get the chance to come back. And again, it revolves around forgiveness. We talked about that. Right? Jesse, one step off, all you do is ask for forgiveness, and you're right back on. We have that same advantage as believers. And he gave that advantage to Israel. All you got to do is come back. Come back to the plumb line that I've set for you. Verse 9 shows us the problem, right? Again, there were the other things we talked about. The taking advantage of the, the, the poor and the injustice. But here's where he hits it, right on the mark. He goes for the spiritual, right? Verse 9 says, The high places of Isaac will be destroyed. The sanctuaries of Israel will be ruined. With my sword, I will rise up against the house of Jeroboam. Right? That's the king. Right? At this point, the king has gotten so far off, he's going to be eliminated. Does, takes away the places that they've been worshiping, which is wrong. He's taken away the, way, the heart of what they've been worshiping, right? The sacrifices. They've been sacrificing to idols and fault witnesses, and God's never okay with that. There was a message we did a while back on that one as well, right? The leadership, you've gotten that far off. But even with that, there's a remnant that's going to be saved. There's an opportunity to come back. There's an opportunity to go to Jerusalem, back to where I told you I wanted you to worship and worship the one true God. And not that Jerusalem had it all going right either. They're going to get judged later on. But at the moment, they're better off than Israel is. And it's a means to get back to the root. We see the problem here a little bit further. Uh, it's interesting here, this next section. So we'll go on in verse 10. But keep that imagery, right? Because it's still going on here. It's continued with the plumb line. It says, In Amorzah, the priest Bethel sent a message to Jeroboam, the king of Israel. Amos is raising a conspiracy against you in the very heart of Israel. The land cannot bear all his words, for this is what Amos is saying. Jeroboam will die by the sword. Israel will surely go into exile, away from their native land. All right, a couple of things going on here. We have the, the priest, right? The priest who is in Bethel, right? He's the spiritual leader. In that day, he has a lot of influence. In fact, he's the, he has the king's ear, really. Again, they're, they're not so far off that the spiritual that is not in, included into decisions and how they go about things. He has some influence. And this is a chief guy, and what's he saying? Hey, Amos is talking against you, right? He's conspiring to overthrow you. Does it sound familiar at all? Wasn't there someone else that had that same thing going on? Good Friday, Easter. It's amazing how they line up that way, huh? Right? But really, was it Amos that was saying it? Who's holding the plumb line? God, right? God's just speaking for Amos. Or speaking through Amos, I should say. And so he's stirring up trouble. He really should be the one that leads the people back to spiritual purity, and yet his plumb line is so far off that he doesn't even see it, and again, he now starts attacking Amos himself, right? 
In the old days, we used to call that shoot the messenger, right? I know I'm taking a, taking a risk here, even saying that and offering that up. Some of you are smiling, and some of you are reaching in your pockets. I'm a little nervous now, but that's all right. I'm, I'm trusting God. Uh, if today's my last, that's okay. No. Just kidding. Ah, deep groan, deep sigh. But shooting the messenger, right? It's easier to blame the messenger than the originator. Hey, being a prophet happens, we said, over and over again throughout the Old Testament. I, I got to tell you, being a prophet's no picnic in this at all, right? Again, Amos is in a foreign land for the most part. Yeah, it's among his people language, but he's in a place that's not his home, and he's given the message that God's given him. Things should be easy. Things should be nice. But no, it's tough for him. And now they're conspiring against him. And now the, the one person who should be listening to God has gotten away from that. He goes on, it says in verse 12, it says, Then Amazah said to Amos, Get out, you seer. Go back to the land of Judah. Earn your bread there and do your prophesying there. Wow. Those are pretty tough words, right? Basically, seer is the same thing as a prophet. Good question. Thank you, Renee. I love it when people just you know, ask that question. You're absolutely right. Seer, prophet, same thing. Looking into the future. And so it's, it's the same idea. Although seer was normally used as someone who was a false prophet. And so it's, not a, it's a derogatory term here. And certain Amos does prophesy what's going to happen in the future, but again, it has a little more mysticism to him. Um, so it's, not a, it's a derogatory term. But the, he wants to throw him out. He wants to get rid of him, right? He says, you know, go back, earn your bread, right? He's actually accusing him here in this. He's accusing him of prophesying for, for financial gain. Interesting, right? Oh, you're just here in it for the money, right? That's the only reason you're here. That's really basically what he was saying. If he was saying in today's language, get out of here. You're just, you're just living off of us. It's because our nation is doing well financially. You're making money off of this. And again, we have no indication that Amos was, was even receiving money. Now, certainly he would get food, and sometimes people would give donations to a prophet. But most of the prophets didn't end up very well. If you read on in the story, most prophets ended in death, isolation. It wasn't a profession that you said, ah, oh, that's what I want to be when I grow up. Yeah, it's not one of those things. That wasn't a get-rich scheme. But yet, that's what he's being accused of here. <clears throat> you can almost see the, the hatred is built up, right? Amos is saying things that, yeah, we don't want to hear. We don't know that. Attracting. Um, probably it's, they're coming under conviction. We don't know that because we don't see a change. But anyways, so Amos is getting more and more criticized here, and he says, don't prophesy here anymore, because this is the king's sanctuary and the temple of the kingdom, right? Whose sanctuary? Another indicator. God's, yeah, right? Another indicator. That's how far things have gotten off. The king is claiming it as his own. This is my own little... You know, quite often they would build their palace right next to the temple or the sanctuary where they were to worship, right? It was convenient. It was nice and easy. Just walk out and walk over, right? But it corrupted it. It wasn't set apart. It wasn't what God intended. And so, once again, we get a glimpse into where they are spiritually. They're not very close. 
their plumb line has gotten skewed. Verse 14, we see Amos' response. I love this. Amos, Amos isn't just sitting back saying, oh, all right, or, hey, I'm going to pack up and go home, right? No. Look at how he responds. He says, I was neither a prophet nor a son of a prophet, but I was a shepherd, and I also took care of sycamore fig trees. But the Lord took me from tending the flock and said to me, go prophecy in my people, to my people Israel. All right? It's a rebuttal to that, hey, you're only in it for the money. Amos is kind of, not, not, he's not boasting or bragging, but he's saying, hey, I was pretty well off. I was doing okay. I was fine where I was. I was managing shepherds and sheep, and I had this fig tree farm that was going, and I was making probably pretty good money down there in the south. I didn't need to come up here, but God called me here. Big difference. We used to have a, one of our teachers in Bible school. You may have heard of him, actually, Jimmy DeYoung. He's pretty well-known um, for prophesying, and uh, he used to always emphasize that phrase, and it can't help it, but it's ringing. And if you know Jimmy DeYoung, he's a rather large man with a white gray hair. Good guy, good guy. He's a little harder to, to, to listen to on a regular basis. He talks really fast because he's from the, from the East, but he would always say, I'm not a prophet, nor the son of a prophet that way, and it would catch, this is what God's word says. And he would always start off a lot of his messages that way, and it would catch your attention. And he would pull it from this. But again, it wasn't Amos' main occupation. He was called by God to give this word. He was well off. He didn't need to be there. He wasn't making great financial gains by doing this. So again, he stands up for himself a little bit here. He rebuts what the chief priest is saying. Goes on and says, Then, then now hear the word of the Lord. Do not prophesy prophecy against Israel. And stop preaching against the house of Isaac. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. Your wife will become a prostitute in the city, and your sons and daughters will, be, will fall by the sword. Your land will be measured up and divided up, and you yourself will die in a pagan country. And Israel will certainly go into exile, away from the native land, from their native land. Right? God, in, in a way, steps out and says, you know what? I told Amos to say what he said, and now I'm going to back him up. That's really what he's saying here. This is my guy. And guess what? Here's what's going to happen to you. This is the individual himself is getting judged here. It should come as a warning to us, right? We need to be careful about judging others. That, that famous quote, right? We, we know that. And again, we make judgments, but judging people and judging the motives or the heart, we have to be careful. We have to run it back through that grid. Is it from God or is it from man? And this is a terrible tragedy that's going to happen to him. Again, because he's gotten so far off, right? He's going to be killed. His wife is going to become a prostitute. That's what he's saying, right? Again, in that day, there wasn't a lot of opportunities for women to work and he, they weren't she wasn't going to be spared. Her life would be spared, but hardship was going to follow her. Sons and daughters, right? Their family line is going to be cut off. It was vitally important, especially to the Jewish leaders, that their family, because the idea was you'd pass it on to the next generation, and they would stay in the 
family business, right? It's not going to happen for him. Right? It says your land will be divided up, right? It's going to be overrun. The Assyrians are going to come down and wipe him out, and he's not even going to hold any position. He's not even going to get to go into exile. He's going to be killed on the spot. Right? It's pretty harsh, we would say, right? But that's not what we've been reading, is it? We've been reading over and over again how God's been compassionate. He's been giving warning after warning, right? But at some point, God's going to call in the plumb line and say, no, this is what I've said to you. And so it's, we need to take the same warning. We have to be careful that we don't get lax in thinking that God's compassion, His grace, His mercy, we can just keep on sinning and doing our own thing. Because eventually God's going to call in and say, no, back to the plumb, back to the, the Bible, back to the Word, right? So just as we wrap up chapter 7 here, just a couple of things I want you to take away from you this morning, but what are you holding, who's holding the line? That, there we go, that's what I wanted to say. Who's holding the line? God, right? Got that? All right, tougher question. How are you measuring up? Yeah. How are you measuring up? Does God want us to move the line or hold the line? Right? Don't shoot the messenger. Right? But also take hope that God is merciful. God is gracious. He is compassionate. And so if we ask for forgiveness, we can be restored. And we can get back on God's word. We can get back in line with his will. Bow with me, please. Gracious Heavenly Father, as sometimes these messages are tough to read, tough to hear. Lord, you know that we need them. You know that we are easily pulled away. And we go astray. Lord, help us to stay in your will. Help us to not lose point on who you are and what you've done for us. Lord, give us the strength, give us the, the courage to ask for forgiveness and to get back to you. And Lord, we do pray for those who have no bearing at all, Lord. We pray for those who are lost in their sin, those who do not believe, that they would come to a saving knowledge of you. Lord, help us to tell them. Give us the courage. Lord, I thank you for our family time here this morning. I thank you for your word. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.